Now, I want to turn to what I think is one of the most dynamic places in Scripture that I've been in, perhaps in my life. And I didn't realize how dynamic it would be last week. Would you turn to me with me to Romans chapter 8? We're talking about, well, we talked about a couple of weeks ago about the suffering of the saints. If you look in, in um, let's see, look at verse 18. We've already done this. I'm not going to do this today. But, but, but Paul writes in chapter 8, verse 18, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed for us. And then he starts to talk about this suffering and how we will all go through it. It's not if we will, it's since we will. We will go through difficulties. That's part of life. And part of it for us as believers is to mature, to help us to become more the man, the more the woman of God that God has called us to be. Well, in and through this suffering, Paul then mentioned three groups that groan for this suffering. One was, we looked at last week, was creation. Creation groans for, for us. It says, uh, it says that, that, that creation in, in the, the 19th verse of the 8th chapter, about the last half of the 19th verse, it says creation groans and its purpose is waiting eagerly for the revealing of us, the sons of children, the children of God. And so this groaning is creation which was created perfectly and then with the curse the creation also had uh, fell i guess you could say and it was cursed as well and it's longing for this new newness of being what it was really created to be like and longing to see us us being revealed as the children of god well this week we're going to see two other groups actually a group and, and God the Holy Spirit. If you look at verse 23, we shall see that the groanings of believer are for those who, verse, the end, last part of verse 23, who wait eagerly for their adoption as children, the redemption of our bodies. And then, thirdly, there will be the groaning of God the Holy Spirit who will be praying interceding, if you will, on our behalf, it says with groanings that are too deep for words. I will tell you that I believe verses 26 and 27 are two of the most dynamic verses in all of Scripture as far as something that you and I can lean on as believers, a blessing that God has for us. Now, would you with me please read verses 23 to 27, and take a look at the two groanings of we as believers and God the Holy Spirit. Let's start, actually, let's start at verse 22. It says, For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. Verse 23. And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Paul says in verse 24, For in hope we have been saved. But hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one also hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we wait eagerly for it. 
Now comes verse 26 and 27. And in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weaknesses. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And He who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because He intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Verses 26 and 27 are those verses that are beyond description because we are told that God the Holy Spirit prays for you and me. He intercedes. That means when you and I pray to God, and and I'm going to say this in a moment or two, but have you ever been at a place where you, you just don't know how to pray because everything seems to be swirling around you don't know how and what to say. What, what is the will of God in this? What, what am I supposed to ask for God? It might be concerning something of your business, something of your family. For you, Rebecca, for your move. What does it all mean? Well, pray. Go to God and pray. Pray the best you know how. And God the Holy Spirit will take your prayers, will intercede for you, will take those prayers to God the Father And He will intercede with them with groanings too deep for words according to the will of God. So that you know by the time your and my feeble prayer rises up into the heavens, God, the Holy Spirit, and the Father take care of our prayers, making them according to His will. I believe with all of my heart, that's why our Lord, when He was on the the mount about to go to the cross, and, and He said, Father, if it... If it be your will, let this cup pass from me. Remember? Let, let me not go there. But, he said, not my will, but thine be done. He was willing to do whatever God wanted from him. And I, I want that for you and I want that for me. Now this place in Scripture is, is, is one of the more secure places of our faith that you and I will ever study. It is an assurance beyond your wildest dreams of how much you are protected and cared for by God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. I'm excited about teaching this. So pray with me. Let's, Let's allow God to hear our prayers and to the Spirit intercede for us and And may it be according to His will. Which, by the way, before we go to prayer, that's why I always pray, uh, Psalms 119, uh, uh, Lord, open up our eyes so that we might behold wonderful things from their law. That's not my words. That's that's Scripture. I've learned a long time ago that I pray according to Scripture. That way I know I'm I'm praying according to the will of God. I just don't know the outcome, and I don't know what timing God has, and I don't know which way it's going to go. But I know that I will pray. And I want to pray according to Him, so I usually pray according to Scripture because I feel that's my safest bet of trying to reach the Lord. So let's pray. Father, please, as I just mentioned, would you uh, open up our eyes so that we might behold wonderful things from your law? And Father, would you please move me aside so that I might not hinder what you want to say to every single person here this morning? Lord, uh, What a privilege to be able to read your Bible, your words, and to see what what Paul has written for us here in this book of Romans, Father. We are so secure in who we are in you. 
And I think so many of us walk around um, not with that security, wondering if, if we're good enough, wondering if we've done enough, uh, wondering all those things, Father, that are, are really not important. What is important is, is what Paul wrote, that we would walk according to the Spirit, not the flesh. So help us, Father, in that behalf. Take this message, Father, and do with it as you so desire with every single person here. Move, please, in each heart, I pray, in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. Well, what we see is not, not only does the creation groan for us, what it groans for is our deliverance, but also its deliverance from the destructive consequences of sin. Even nature itself is groaning to be freed from, I don't know, the weeds, the thorns, the thistles, the things that, that, that really God didn't really plant, but that came out because of the curse. I don't know. But I know this. We groan. The Holy Spirit groans. Creation and we groan for one purpose, and that's for our redemption. You see, central to God's plan within the Bible, central to everything that is in here leads to the final decision of salvation that that we, imperfect human beings, would come to be perfect because of the righteousness of Christ and through faith in Him and Him alone, we would then have eternal life, salvation. We would be able to live eternally in heaven. And as we learned the other day in here, we have become adopted as children of God, heirs, fellow heirs with His Son, Jesus Christ. That's central to the theme of the Bible. So, with that in mind, we become children adopted into the family when, when we accept Christ by faith. Therefore, Paul says, when you do that, something takes over your life, my life. Verse 23, we have within us the first fruit of the Spirit. In other words, you and I as believers should become spiritually sensitive to the corruption of sin. We should walk according to the Spirit, not the flesh. We should be sensitive to sin. And sin in our lives ought to make us groan for our purity, our righteousness before God, so that we would be holy. The Spirit of God is given to you to convict you of your sin and to help you and me to walk according to the Spirit. So you and I have within us, if you've come to trust in Christ as your Lord and Savior, the first fruits of the Spirit. Remember, we studied a few weeks ago now in Romans chapter 8, verse 9, the same chapter, verse 9. Paul says, However, you are not of the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, he says, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he doesn't belong to him. I mean, Paul is very, very black and white, I guess you would say about this. The, the issue is very clear. You have the Spirit of God in you if indeed you've come to trust in him. If you don't, then you do not belong to him. And so, 
a few weeks ago, we, we read out of 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. I believe this is right, not in my notes. But I, I know this verse because I've gone to it often. It says, test yourself. Examine yourself to see if Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail the t- test. Know this about yourself, that Christ is in you. That's a, a decision that you and I make. Uh, a chance to ask the Lord Jesus Christ to forgive us our sin and to make us into the person that He has created us to be. And the first fruit of the Spirit ought to therefore bring into your life nine character traits. It's in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23 are are the fruit of the Spirit. There is love, there is joy. There is peace and patience and kindness. There is goodness, there is faithfulness, there is gentleness and self-control. Those nine character traits ought to be yours and mine who walk according to the fruit of the Spirit. As Paul says, man, one of really a great place, talking about groaning. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. Listen to these words. It's, it's amazing. He says that we know if the earthly tent, talking about the earthly tent, means our earthly bodies. He says, we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, that is eternal in the heavens. That's a promise. For indeed, in this house, in this, in this body that we have, this human body, Paul writes, we groan. We groan. We long to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven. In other words, we long to be with the Lord. Verse 3, Inasmuch as we, having put it on, this earth, this, this body of, of heaven, we will not be found naked. In other words, come to Christ. Verse 4, For indeed, while we are in this tent, we groan, being burdened, because we do not want to be unclothed, but clothed so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life, that which is eternal. Now, He who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave us the Spirit as a pledge. Therefore, being always of good courage and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. As long as we are here, we are absent from being there. So the seventh verse is short but amazing. It says, we walk by faith and not by sight. That's what Paul is trying to teach us here. Think with me for a moment. In verses in chapter 8 of Romans, verses 24 and 25, Paul continues to explain what this faith or hope is. He says in verse 24, in hope or faith, We have been saved. But hope that is seen, he says, it's not hope. Who hopes, he says, for what he's already seen? No. He says in verse 25, but if we hope for what we do not see with perseverance, in other words, we are tenacious. We walk this walk here on this earth. We wait eagerly for it. I don't know about you, but I I think maybe it comes with age. I don't know for sure. But I do know this. I, I, I can't wait for the Lord to come back. I'm really excited about it. 
Now, I know, I've talked to couples when I'm about, you know, the Lord coming back and all that, that are about to get married, and they just as soon he waits a while. You know what I mean? They want to, you know what I mean. They want to be with one another for a while before he comes back. I get that. But as you get older, you long to be with the Lord. You wait eagerly for that great day. You see, hope and faith is inseparable from your salvation, our salvation. And your salvation has been secured in the past, right now in the present, and in the future. Salvation was planned by God in ages past, long ago. Right now, your salvation has been given to you if you've trusted in Christ as your Lord and Savior in the present. And in the future, your salvation is anchored right now through hope and faith for its future completion. God has you in His hands, past, present, and future. Your hope, a believer's hope and faith is not based, based on wishful thinking. It's not based on maybe. Your hope and your faith is to be centered upon one thing and one thing only, and that is the integrity and the promises of the Word of God. Our salvation, therefore, is guaranteed not by who we are, but by who He is. And that, that is promised by God. I'm going to... You're going to know that for sure when you walk out of here today. Listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 6, verse 37. He says, All that the Father gives to me shall come to me. And He says, The one who comes to me, I will in no way cast out. You come to Him. He will take you in to His family. You will be adopted and be heirs of God, fellow heirs of Jesus Christ. Our hope and our faith is not that we might lose our salvation. No, our hope and our faith is that we realize that our salvation is guaranteed and we cannot and we will not lose it because it is impossible because we don't hold on to it. It's not, be, it's not by your goodness that you are a believer. It's not by your giving or your serving or your doing anything that you are... Hey, honey that you are special before God. It's not that. It's that God is special and you are saved. You, you have an anchor of your soul. I mean, this place here, you might want to turn to it. Hebrews chapter 6. If you have a Bible and you, you're inclined to mark it, uh, and those electrical Bibles are cool. I like that. You can just hit a thing. Got Hebrews 6, you're there. He's already there. You're turning for it. He's there. I love that. Hebrews chapter 6 is one of the more dynamic places in the Word of God as far as guarantee is concerned. Listen to this. I used the phrase a moment or two ago calling it uh, an anchor to our soul, this faith that we have. Well, I did, that's not my thought. That comes out of Scripture. It comes out of Hebrews chapter 6. Listen to verse 17. In the same way. Let me stop there for a second. I'm not going to tell you what in the same way means. I want If you're curious... Go home this afternoon or when you have a quiet time this week, take a look at Hebrews chapter 6 and see what it says starting with verse 1. What, what makes the writer of Hebrews say in the same way? In what same way? You find out. Look at it. You find out. In the same way, verse 17, to show to the heirs of the promise. Who's the heirs of the promise? 
Come on, who's the heirs of the promise? Us. We are heirs of God. We are fellow heirs of Jesus Christ. We are the promise that God has made that there would be a a group of people who would follow His Son, trust in His Son, His Son shed His blood for the forgiveness of our sins, and we become by faith heirs of the promise. That's us. So, let me go again. To show to the heirs of the promise, to show to you and me the unchangeableness of God's purpose interposed with an oath. In other words, we see God's purpose and an oath combined. We are shown what, what is God's promise to us through that, that phrase right there in verse 17. So look at verse 18. So that, talking about those two unchangeable things in which it is, listen, impossible for God to lie. So we, the last of verse 18, who have taken refuge would have strong encouragement to take hold of what? The hope. The hope that is set before us. This hope that you and I have is an anchor to our soul. A hope both sure and steadfast. Folks, it's unchangeable. It's impossible for God to lie. This hope that we have is is sure. It's steadfast. It is an anchor for our soul. Now here's where the biblical concept of hope or faith differs from the cultural concept of hope or faith. When the Bible speaks of hope and faith, it talks about a confidence in the promises of God, not anything in and of ourselves. Let me give you a little example, just a Stupid little example just came to my mind. When I used to be in spring training, go to spring training every year, I never was the third baseman. This was before I was a believer. I'd go to spring training, Vero Beach, and I was trying to make the big club. And there I am on a field, and I, whenever I would think I would hope, I would hope that I would make that plane. I would hope that I would get on that Dodger plane and fly, fly from Vero Beach, Florida, back to Los Angeles and open up the season with the Dodgers. And I would hope whoever was playing third base before me would break a leg or something. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah I did. No, I'm not kidding. I prayed that they would get hurt so that I could make that ball club. That was my hope. I would hope that I would make that ball club. I had no confidence in the Dodgers that they were going to take me. I didn't have that deep of confidence, I guess, in myself, did I? Hoping that everybody ahead of me would get hurt. But the hope of the biblical concept of hope is it's solid. It's solid because it rests upon the promises of God in which none of us can change it. When God says something is going to happen, you can take that to the bank. It is going to happen and there is absolutely no possible change that it will change. No possible chance, excuse me, that it will change. It won't. It is impossible for God to lie. Biblical hope is strong enough to carry you and me through our present circumstances, whether it's suffering or sorrow or whatever it may be, because the outcome is for certain. It's going to happen. I thought about the suffering part of it. Last night I was I was in the service and sitting right about where Doug and Kathy are, 
in, in, in the First Beat Church was um, certainly uh, Andrews. Her, her, her husband, Max, passed away uh, quite a while ago now, maybe more than a year. I don't know if you guys know or not. But he, about a while, about a year. And I know, I know, I know that she longs to see Max again. I mean, I know that. I, I do too, by the way. I, I, I love that guy. He was an encourager's encourager. He would always come up to me and say, boy, that was a good service, you know. And he would, you know, whatever. He would just come up and he would say something. And we had a like-mindedness. And I stopped in, in this place in Scripture and I said, you know, the outcome is certain. I said, so you're going to see Max again. And with that, of course, you know, she glad, glad, eyes teared a little bit. And, and I said, isn't that a great hope? And she agreed. And your daughter... It just dawned on me. I could have used you for that gift. We'll see her again. Be able to hug her neck. Man. That is a hope that is certain. That is the promises of God that I don't know how people in the world function. You almost have to get to a place where you don't believe in God. If you believe that there is a heaven and there is a hell. Biblical hope is is steadfast, it's sure, it's an anchor for your and my soul. Now, Paul makes a very obvious statement of truth. He does this in verses 24 and 25. Well, we read them, but let's read it again. He says, this hope that he's talking about, this hope we have been saved, he says in verse 24. But he says, a hope that is seen, that's not hope. He says, why would someone hope for something he's already seen? No, he says in verse 25, if we hope for what we do not see and we hang in there with perseverance, we, we, we keep the faith. He says we wait eagerly for it. In other words, in this life, you and I cannot expect to experience the reality of our glorification. Please forgive me. I made you cry. I didn't mean to do that. I did the same thing last night. I'm really something, aren't I? I'm so sorry. But in this life, you and I cannot expect to experience the reality of our glorification. We can only hope of it. But since the believer's hope is based not upon ourselves, not upon our flesh, not upon the works or the deeds that we do, but our hope is based entirely upon God's promise. Therefore, the completion of your salvation and my salvation is more certain than anything you and I can ever see physically. It is real. It is as real as it can be. In fact, it's so real, Paul uses the past tense to talk about our future salvation. What? In Romans chapter 8, the same chapter, but ahead in verse 30, he says that, a, that your salvation is so, so secure that your glorification and your salvation is spoken of in the past tense. Look, these whom He has predestined, He also called. These whom He has called, He's also justified. These whom He has justified, He's already glorified. It's done. It's all done by Christ. And so this hope that we do not see but we wait for eagerly is ours. In another book, we've been studying at Men's Breakfast. Men, you're more than welcome. Wednesday mornings at a place called Kino's. It's a good breakfast. If you don't want to have breakfast, you don't have to. We start at 6. You can leave anytime you want. We have fellowship, and then we have teaching of the Word, and 
and, and you're welcome to come and go, and it's just a great time. And we've been going through the book of Philippians. In fact, this Wednesday, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take Kay. I can't go in the morning. One of the only, one, one of the only times I'm going to miss, and Rob uh, Selick is going to be teaching, which I wish I could be there. I love to hear him teach. But anyways, uh, I have to do something with Kay. Nonetheless, we've been going through the book of Philippians there, and a couple weeks ago we were in the first chapter, and we looked at just one verse, verse 6. And Paul wrote in Philippians 1.6 that he was confident of this very thing. What, what, what are you confident of, Paul? He says that he, God, who began this good work in you, God, he will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. In other words, it's, 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 it's secure. And it's not in your hands. I'm going to teach you a, one of the greatest lessons that I think you'll ever have here at this pulpit at the end of this message. I'm, I'm, I think what, what I'm, what I'm going to share with you will be something you will carry out of here and think about for a long time. I'll tell you when I get to it. You won't miss it. Your salvation is secure. Because in, in hope, it says you and I have been saved. Verse 24. For in this hope, we've been saved. That word saved is a marvelous word in the Greek. It, it is used virtually for every available tense in the Greek language. In other words, Paul is writing, we were saved, we are saved, we are being saved, we shall be saved. In that one word, saved. Paul and the Lord wants each of us here in this room, all believers, to feel as secure as anyone would hope to be within this unseen faith that we have. Be secure. Your salvation has been done in the past, the present, and the future. You are guaranteed to be a part of the family of God. Now, why are we so secure? That's because I told you of those two verses, 26 and 27. Because God, the Holy Spirit, is in you. And He is taking you and guiding you along this path. And when you go to God in prayer, He groans, intercedes for you with words that are too deep for us to even understand. He is praying for you and me. Why are we so secure? Listen, in the same way. Now let me stop there. In what same way? Well, now I can tell you because we've been studying the the first part of this chapter. In the same way means that God, the Holy Spirit, groans in the same way that creation and believers groan, longing for our redemption, but so much more, so much more in God, the, the Holy Spirit. I said earlier, have you ever gone to God in prayer and actually didn't know what to pray for? I have. This week I uh, had a, an opportunity to experience that. Almost almost a half an hour after I studied this particular place in Scripture, I got a chance to, privilege really, to pray for someone I love like my own brother. And sometimes all you could do is just go to the Father and utter or stammer, Father. In my case, when I'm alone, I just say, Dad, Daddy, I don't know. What happens here? How does it happen? And then I give him what I think 
But I know, I know somewhere up between here and heaven, the Holy Spirit grabs that and starts to intercede for me and he takes those words and he groans and he intercedes and he gives it a meaning that is too deep for me to ever understand according to the will of God. I know that. And so I know my prayers are fulfilled. But there's times where I just don't know how to pray and I'm sure you feel the same way. It says in that verse that the Spirit of God helps in our weakness with groanings too deep for words. How wonderful is that? How secure would you feel in that? I mean, you don't have to know everything. Just know the Lord. Now, let me give you that example I told you about. You can close the book in here. In fact, if you have a marker like me and you keep it in Romans chapter 8, turn back to Luke chapter 22, please. Luke chapter 22. You're going to know this story the moment I begin it. Let me just give you a little bit of background. Jesus Christ is talking to the disciples. And there arose amongst them in verse 24 of Luke chapter 22, a dispute. (laughs) What were they arguing about? Which one of them is going to be the greatest? Oh, do they sound like us or what? Well, that's what they're arguing about. Who's the greatest? I am. No, I am. No, I am. The Lord came, said to him, and he said in particular to Peter. And what he said to Peter, <laughs> oftentimes I tell you, I'd love to have been there. I'd love to, I'd, I'd love to have to experience that. Not this one. No, not this one. He says, Simon, Simon. When he pronounces your name twice, Simon, verse 31. I want you to read it with me. Behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. Listen, that's not good. In this story, I'm going to talk about Peter, the Lord is, himself, Satan, and this trial that Jesus is going to go to and the people that were observing this trial. Now, he says to Peter in verse 31, Satan has asked permission to sift you like wheat, big boy. But, verse 32, what? I have prayed for you. Now that's before he had gone to be up, he had died and and then come back to life and gone to be in heaven and sent the Holy Spirit. So now he is directly praying for Peter. And I am praying for you that, verse 32, your faith may not fail and you when once you have turned again, you'll strengthen your brothers. I like that. I like the fact that that Peter has been called to strengthen the family of God. I love that. So Peter says, of course, thank you, Lord. Man, do I need that. No, look at Peter. Boy, is he an A-type guy. Look what he says in verse 33. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, with you, I'm ready to go both to prison, I'll die with you if need be. Don't need to worry about me. Satan schmaten. <laughs> I got it handled. Don't worry. I'll go to prison if need be with you, for you, and I will die with you or for you. Don't worry. Well, fortunately, for Peter and for you and for me, Jesus is faithful no matter what we say or do. In 2 Timothy 2.13, you don't need to turn, it says, if we are faithless, 
He, God, remains faithful because He can't deny Himself. He promises that He will be faithful. He doesn't lie. So, if you go further on in the story, you find out that, that, that Judas comes. The Lord goes and asks the guys to pray with Him. They don't. And then Judas comes, uh, uh, betrays Him, and so they they, they surround him. When, when they surround him, just as Judas is betraying him, one of the guys, I think it's Peter, clops off with his sword one of the soldier's ears. The Lord says, put down your sword. And then he takes up his ear and he heals the guy's ear. I mean, come on. He's given us more examples of who he is. So he says, put away your... your, uh, your, uh, your what uh, swords, whatever. Now, here's what I want you to see in this story. Jesus Christ now is arrested. He's going to go on trial. Peter, verse 54. Let's pick up the story there. Having arrested Jesus Christ, it says in verse 54, they led Jesus away and brought him to the house of the high priest. And Peter, it says, was following at a distance. After they had kindled a fire, verse 55, in the middle of the courtyard, and they sat down together, Peter was sitting amongst the the people that were there to observe the trial. He was sitting amongst them. And in verse 56, we we are told that there is a young servant girl there. This young servant girl looks at Peter as he sat in the firelight, and she says in verse 56, intently, this man was with Jesus. I know, he was one of them. To which Peter, it says, by the way, back a little further, forgive me, but the Lord told Peter, when Peter says, I'll be with you and I'll go to jail and all that, this, that, and the other, and I'll die with you, he says, hey, Peter, before the cock crows, you're going to die me three times. I forgot to tell you that. That's a very important part of the story. So in verse 57, Peter denies this this woman by saying, I don't know him. Come on, Peter. You just told the Lord you were willing to do anything with him, anything for him, even death. You don't know him? Verse 58, a little while later, another saw Peter and said, you're one of them too. But Peter says, no, I'm not. Uh Uh-uh, not me. Then in verse 59, about an hour had passed and another man began to insist, saying, certainly this man, talking of Peter, was with Jesus Christ because he's a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you're talking about. And immediately, while Peter was speaking, a rooster crowed. The next verse normally makes me cry because I can put myself in Peter's place a lot quicker than I could put myself in the Lord's place. You know, I I understand that you and I are to be conformed into the image of Christ. That's really hard for me. It was, that's hard. It's just, he's so perfect and I mess up so much. But I get Peter. I, uh, I get that. Denying the Lord. Doing something that is disappointing not only to him but to myself. And it says in that verse that, let me read it to you carefully. 
It says in verse 61, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. I can't imagine what Peter must have felt like. In all of the melee of what was happening in that trial and all the people and all of that's going on, to think that, that Peter and our Lord's eyes caught one another. And Peter looked up and he saw the Lord looking at him. I can't imagine how Peter must have felt, but it tells us. Peter, it says in verse 61, remembered the word of the Lord, how he had told him before rooster crows today, you're going to deny me three times. And verse 62 says it all. Peter went out and he wept bitterly. Obviously, Peter had failed. Peter had promised the Lord, I'll never deny you, Lord. Please don't worry. If you go to jail, I go to jail. They arrest you, they arrest me. They put you to death, they might as well put me to death. And here it is just a few hours later and he's denied the Lord three times. He has failed the Lord. But Jesus Christ doesn't fail. Even though we are faithless, He remains faithful. He cannot deny Himself. You see, yours and my spiritual security rests on the Lord's faithfulness, not on our inconsistent and weak commitment from time to time. And we all have those moments. So Paul emphasizes that the Spirit does not simply provide our security, thank God. No, he emphasizes that the Spirit is our security. Your going to heaven does not rest on your shoulders. It rests upon the shoulders of our Lord who died for you. It doesn't rest upon how good a person you are or how much you do unto the Lord. What you do unto the Lord ought to be just an expression of your love. In other words, whatever it is that you and I do unto the Lord will not make us more a Christian. It just won't. You're as much a Christian now as you ever will be. Last night, well, tomorrow will be my wife's birthday. And so last night my daughter, God bless her heart, took my wife out for a special dinner, just the two of them. And I wrote Kay a note because I didn't get to see her when I left uh, to, to preach. And I told her how much I love her on a text, you know. And, 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 I, and I wanted to tell her that not because I'd be more married. I'm already as married as I'm going to be. I told her that only because I love her. I want to be honest with you. I used to do that so that I would get the bonus at the end. You know, I would get, if I was a good boy enough, I'd, I'd, I'd win, you know, in the end. I don't do that anymore either. I now just tell her I love her only because I love her. It has nothing to do with me being married. It has nothing to do with all the bonuses I might get. It has everything to do with just a pure love I have for my wife. And that's the same way as I'm growing in the Lord that I serve Him. Not so that I'll win favor. In fact, I don't like the idea that we're going to get crowns in heaven. I, I prefer that we all walk in and, and, and I hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. That will be enough. The good part about whatever we might receive as crowns, we lay at His feet. I like that. I like the fact that we give back. I like that so much that I'd rather give back now than take. Your salvation is provided by the Spirit. 
He is your security. He intercedes on your behalf in a way that is totally beyond your comprehension, my comprehension, human comprehension. He intercedes for us with groanings that are too deep for words. So what do we learn from these three groanings in verses 19 to 27? It's probably the most, one of the most dynamic places in all of Scripture. Well, we learn a very simple truth. We learn this, that if it were not for God the Holy Spirit, God the Son, and God the Father, our inheritance in heaven would, hap- would hold absolutely no hope. We wouldn't have the hope that we have now. But because of God, the Holy Spirit, the Son, and the Father, we have everything. Our inheritance is assured. We've been adopted into the family of God. And if you think about Peter and how desperately and terribly he denied and failed the Lord, and the Lord still loved him. In fact, when when our Lord rose from the dead when he told the women that were there to to serve him, one of the first things he said, go back and tell them that you see me alive and tell Peter. I think it's written in there to go tell Peter to just, for a couple of reasons, to assure us that our Lord has forgiven Peter, of course, but also to let Peter know that he's still a part, that he hasn't failed. You and I can get up off of the ground if we are in a situation where we're, We've done something that we wished we wouldn't have done. Look, confess your sin. Our Lord says, I'll take whatever it is you've done and I'll separate it from you as far as the east is from the west and I'll remember it no more. Get back up on your feet and serve the Lord. Don't let those things that you might have done stop you from the greatest joy you'll ever have. And that is serving the Lord Jesus Christ with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. So our faith is secure. Reason enough to thank God. Father, thank you so much for this moment. Just this moment. To be with these dear people whom I love so much. And to be able to talk about you. Unbelievable. Who would have thought? I pray you bless us, Father. Uh, Thank you for an opportunity to feel secure. Secure in in our faith. And I pray if, if there's someone here that doesn't, please, Father... Help them to to realize that their security doesn't come from how good they are. It comes from their faith in you, Jesus Christ, and then your ability to carry it through. And we have learned clearly from Scripture that it is impossible for you to lie. What you have promised, you will do. Bless us all, Father, we pray in Jesus' most precious name. I love you. God bless you. Have a great day.